Well, Christmas season is definitely upon us. In case you haven't noticed, there are Christmas decorations and songs and all kinds of Christmas memorabilia everywhere. Uh, just before Thanksgiving, I was in a store, and if you know me well, you know I'm not a shopper, so I really needed something, and I, I was in a store looking for that, and I was a little bit frustrated because I wasn't finding what I, what I really needed. But I noticed while I was in there, it was actually shocking, I looked around and I thought, wow, it's not even Thanksgiving yet, and the store is completely decked out for Christmas. And then it hit me, the only music playing on the sound system for this store is Christmas music. So as I'm shopping, uh, I start singing along to It's a Holly Jolly Christmas. I really did. It was Burl Ives, you know, and he was kind of a holly jolly guy himself. And so I, I find myself kind of bebopping along to that. And then I'm still not finding the item I'm looking for, and I'm going around to all these different aisles. And the next song up on the sound system in the store was um, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Now, no, it's not a deep theological song, okay? But it's funky, and it's got a beat to it. And I found myself kind of lip-singing along to Brenda Lee. I was really getting into it. Finally, I found what I was looking for. I head toward the checkout counter to check out, and a guy standing in front of me with, with a woman, I assume his wife, I heard him say very distinctly, he was very close to me, and I'm gonna quote him now. He said, well, I guess we got to listen to this Christmas crap music until the big day is over. And I thought, wow. You're just full of joy and merriment, aren't you? What a Grinch you are, man. And I almost tapped him on the shoulder and started singing joy to the world. But you would be so proud of me. I controlled myself. But you know what? It dawned on me that day. Not everybody loves the music of Christmas. But here's what you find out. It didn't start with Burl Ives or Brenda Lee. It didn't start with Elvis or Nat King Cole or Chuck Berry. When you pick up your Bible and open it up to the Christmas narratives in the Gospels, what you find is that these stories about how Christmas really began are just filled with songs. And so for the month of December, that's where we're headed. We're going to pick four of these songs, and they are songs. They have meter to them. They show all of the earmarkings of an actual song. We don't know what the melody was like. We don't know what they sounded like, but these are actual songs that the people sang. And so for December at Grace, it's going to be all about the music straight out of God's Word. And here's what I think we're going to find is that as we look into some of these early songs of Christmas, we're going to find out not only a lot about the people who sang them, but we're going to learn a whole lot about the God they were singing about. So I'm calling the series Then Sings My Soul. And for the next few Sundays and for Christmas Eve, 
That's where we're headed. I think God is going to use it powerfully in our lives. But let's start today by looking at the first song we'll explore, and it is called Mary's Song. Some of you, if you know a little Latin, you may know that this is known as the Magnificat, and that comes from some of the first words that Mary sings where she says, my soul magnifies. That's your Latin word, magnificat. My soul magnifies or glorifies the Lord. And so many songs have been based on Mary's song that we look at today. But before we, before we look at a few of the lyrics that she sang, because Mary's such a significant figure, I think we need to talk a little bit about Mary herself. You know, some of you grew up in traditions where Mary received a lot of focus and a lot of adulation. Now, that's interesting because the Bible itself is kind of shocking when you read it. It says relatively little about Mary. It's the truth. In fact, if you were trying to put a little resume together for her, wow, you would struggle. It, it, the information is sketchy indeed, okay? We don't know when she was born. We don't know when she died. We don't know any of the details around that. She is mentioned in the Gospels, but as far as being mentioned by name, the only other place that Mary's name even comes up is in the first chapter of the book of Acts, where it talks about her being gathered with 120 other disciples in the upper room. But beyond that, other than these few cameo appearances in the Gospels, she is literally never mentioned in Scripture again. So it's a bit ironic, I think you'll agree, that the church has, through the centuries, elevated her role greatly. In fact, some people actually look to Mary as a mediatrix, that's the word, as a mediator between them and God, and they actually pray to Mary. Uh, that, that's unfortunate because the scripture is really clear about this point. First Timothy chapter two, it says, for there's one God, notice this now, and one mediator. Who is the mediator between God and people? It is the man, Christ Jesus. So scripture's clear about that. We can go straight to God the Father through Jesus the Son, and we don't need anyone else that we go through. But it's really actually beyond that. Some people have actually not only made Mary a mediatrix, but they've made her a co-redemptrix. In other words, she is a part of our actual salvation. Yes, Jesus needed to die. Yes, that was important. But we need to add Mary's merit to that. And a part of this teaching is, and it's not in Scripture, but a part of the belief is that Mary was sinlessly perfect as well as Jesus. And so we need her goodness to help save us as well. So we're actually not only mediated through Mary to the Father, but we actually are saved by Mary. Again, very unfortunate because if the Bible is your authority, and of course that is what we look to at Grace the scripture is very clear that salvation is found in no one else. 
For there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And if you look at the context of that in Acts 4, clearly they're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the name and the only name through which salvation comes. So if we're looking to be saved, if we're looking to connect with the true and living God, Jesus is the way to do that. Now think about this. He paid an incredible price on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. If there's any other way to be saved, guess what? That's a total waste. Jesus wasted his life. He wasted his time and effort at the cross if there's any other possible way to be saved. So again, let's be clear, since the Bible is so clear, Jesus is the only way to God the Father. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, I know what you're thinking. Pastor, that's a pretty sobering message. Pastor, that's pretty narrow, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But Scripture is crystal clear about that. And again, as his disciples, if we call Jesus our Lord and Savior, we need to be crystal clear about that as well. So what I've been doing here for a few moments is describing for you some of the extremes that people around the world go to when it comes to Mary. But you'll notice something very interesting if you study Protestant Christians. Some of them hardly mention Mary at all. Probably in reaction to those other extremes, they just act like Mary is no big deal and she never gets any mention or focus. Hear me, that's not appropriate either. I mean, come on. She was, after all, the human mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, and she was a wonderful, humble servant of the living God. So here's the deal we can learn a lot from Mary. If we're willing, if we have hearts who are willing, we can learn a lot and be inspired by her humble example of obedience. So with that as a little bit of a foundation, let's dive in now to Mary's song. This is incredible. It's found in Luke chapter one, starting in verse 46. Mary said, my soul glorifies. That's the word that's translated magnifies in some translations that we get magnificent from, the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? Well, she explains, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. That's how the song begins, and it goes on right on through, I think, verse 55 or so to describe this awesome thing that God is doing as he fulfills his promise to his people. Now, here's the question that I want to pose. When you understand all of Mary's circumstances, just this peasant girl, such an unlikely candidate in many ways, probably not the person that you and I would naturally choose for this role to be the mother of the Messiah, I want to ask this question. How could Mary sing such a joyful song of praise 
in light of all that she was experiencing and all of her circumstances. So that's the question I'm asking today. And I wanna give you three insights into that that I'd like for us to ponder together. Here's the first one. Mary's soul could sing even though this was God's plan, not hers. You see, the background to Mary's song is very interesting. We read this in Luke's gospel. It says, in the sixth month, Mary, excuse me, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, I want you to notice something very important. Who initiated this encounter? God did. God sent Gabriel to Mary, not the other way around. God was the initiator. God was the author. God was the originator of this awesome encounter and of this whole plan. I'm sure there were other wonderful young women in Palestine, but God sovereignly chose Mary. That's his prerogative. And Mary's song is simply a response to what God is doing. Now, why am I making a big deal of that? Because there's a lesson here for us that's incredibly important. Mary's song is a song of worship. And at all of our locations right now, we're engaged in something called worship. We come together as Christians and we sing and we pray and we fellowship and we look into God's word together and we listen for God's voice in our life through his word. That's worship. But why do we do that? Do we do that to get things from God? Do we do that to get God to act and do things for us? Our theology of worship is really important. And here's what I want you to get. When we come together and sing songs to God, like Mary was doing, we are responding to what God, responding to what God has already done. Let me give you an Old Testament example of this. Way back in the book of Exodus, chapter 15, we get another example of a worship song. Let Let me read a few lines from it. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. He's my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. That's an example of worship. Raw, genuine, I'll bet it was full of passion, and praise and thanksgiving to God. Why were they doing that? They were responding, again, to what God had done for them. What had he done? He had miraculously saved them out of bondage and set them free. And when God miraculously saves you or me out of bondage and sets us free, we're probably gonna wanna sing too. I don't want this lesson to be lost on anyone. That's why for centuries now, 
God's people, true disciples of Jesus, have been known as singing people. I don't care if you can't carry a tune in a bucket. I don't care if you can't even sing in the shower. Your heart is gonna wanna sing to God when he sets you free from bondage and gives you a brand new life. You're gonna wanna sing. And that's the heart of worship. God is looking for worshipers like that who will worship him in spirit and truth. And that's what Mary's doing. That's what Moses and Miriam are doing. And that's what calls, God calls us to do. But let's look on a little bit further. Several verses later, here's what we encounter in Exodus 15. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand. Get this now. And all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he's highly exalted the horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. Again, these women under Miriam's leadership are simply responding as an act of praise and thanksgiving to what God had already done for them. So, Let's not miss this. When we come together, and this is what Christians have been called to do, we come together in worship. It marks our life as believers. We've got to be clear on what we're doing. We're not coming together to try to stoke up an emotion or to feel a certain feeling, although there's nothing wrong with feelings. In fact, genuine worship is probably going to be accompanied by a robust plethora of appropriate feelings. Everybody clear on that? If you feel no feelings at all, something's wrong, okay? If you got no emotion at all, I wonder if you're alive. Do you have a pulse, okay? There's going to be appropriate emotion and passion when we worship. But we're not just looking for a feeling. True worship is in spirit and truth. It's not about how we feel primarily, okay? And when we come together, we're not trying to twist God's arm to do something. This is so vital we understand this. We are responding to God. And if you find yourself with no desire whatsoever, I'm being very personal now, I know, I'm being very pointed, but if you find, whoever you are listening to me right now, if you find yourself with no desire whatsoever welling up with you to worship God and to give thanks and praise to God, I wonder if he's ever set you free. I mean, you're gonna to wanna to say thank you. You're gonna... You're going to want to praise God in some appropriate expression if he has truly saved your soul and set you free. And Mary is responding to what God has already done. This is God's initiation. She's just responding to it. It's his plan. Now, don't get me wrong. Mary makes it her plan too. In fact, we read later in, in chapter one, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. It was God's plan, but that's Mary's yes, Lord, to his plan. And that hopefully will be our response as well. There's a second reason I'm gonna give you why Mary could sing. She could sing, watch this now, even though she was 
anxious. Let's read another little part of the story here in verse 29. Mary, note the phrase, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid. She was afraid. I mean, my goodness, who wouldn't be? Mary, you've found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. He goes on here. It says, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, quick footnote. If you're familiar with the Old Testament at all, you're gonna be getting echoes of what you've read in the Old Testament. You're gonna note in some of that, language, wow, that's the same promise that God gave over and over and over again to some of his leaders in the Old Testament. That I'm gonna raise up a descendant from your line, David. He's gonna reign forever and ever. And that was ultimately fulfilled through Jesus. So what are we to make of this? Mary was greatly troubled. She was anxious. I think she had a lot of reasons to be. But I want to mention a couple that I think are particularly pertinent to us. One reason that she was troubled and anxious is because she knew, she knew that if I follow God's plan here, I am going to be misunderstood. And that's exactly what happened. Even her fiancé, Joseph, did not understand at first. In fact, we read in Matthew's gospel, chapter 1, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, let's examine that. Divorce her? I thought they weren't married. Her husband? I thought they weren't married. Here's where the cultural divide is great. Betrothal in that day was almost as strong as an actual marriage today. It was way beyond what we think of as engagement. It, to break a betrothal, it was so solid, you had to literally get a divorce. But there was one big and significant difference. The couple that were pledged to each other had no sexual union until the actual wedding. So you can imagine, can't you? Some of the dialogue that must have gone on between Joseph and Mary. Mary goes, Joseph, the angel Gabriel came to me, told me, Oh, it's so glorious. I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful what God is going to do through us? Joseph goes, what? Through us? Wait a minute. How gullible do you think I am? You expect me to believe you're pregnant, but there's no human father involved? Now, remember, he hadn't seen any angels at this point. And this whole idea of a virgin birth is just utterly ridiculous to him. Oh, Joseph, I know it sounds impossible, but the angel said that nothing is impossible with God. I doubted it too, but I know what I've experienced, and I know, Joseph, I know this is real. Mary, you want to talk about real? 
You wanna talk about reality? Let's talk reality. The reality is you know good and well that you and I have never been intimate. That's the reality. And so if you're really pregnant, if you're really pregnant, one of two things has happened. Either you've been raped or you've been unfaithful to me. And quite frankly, quite frankly, I can't bear the thought of either of those. Mary, I just need, I need some space to sort this out. One of the reasons that Mary was anxious is that she knew, and it became increasingly clear over time, that to follow God's plan meant that she would be misunderstood even by those closest to her. I wonder, has something like that ever happened to you? Have you ever been accused of something or misunderstood? How did it make you feel when that happened? Perhaps uh, you went through a bitter divorce and it just led to more and more bitterness. And even though you tried to make it as amenable as possible, it was just full of acid and poison. Or maybe there's been a rift in your family and try as you may, it just hasn't been mended. Or perhaps uh, you were dismissed from your job and some story was, was kind of, trumped up that you did such and such, but you know the real scoop and you know that that just isn't true. Or maybe you were wrongly imprisoned or maybe even now, even now, your resources are being drained through an ongoing lawsuit. Maybe some rumor was started about you by your fellow students or peers. You have all the information. The more you try to share the information, the more complicated it gets and the more people doubt you. It is horrible, horrible to be falsely accused and misunderstood. But here's what's even worse. In Mary's case, she was completely innocent, completely and she was understood not just by, not by social media friends or followers. No, that's one thing. She was understood by the man she loved, her fiance. No wonder she was troubled and anxious. But, but here's another reason I think Mary was so anxious and troubled. It's because I think she understood intuitively that favor brings responsibility. Boy, here's a personal lesson for all of us. Here's a lesson we all need to get. Everything about her life was suddenly disoriented. What a privilege to be the mother of the Messiah, but whoa, what a responsibility, huh? And the same is true for us. I'll bet I know something about you. I'll bet God has favored you in some way. Some of you, he's given influence. Some of you are leaders, and I mean good leaders. You've got wisdom. You've got insight. People just want to follow you. Here's the question. How are you stewarding that? Because with every favor from God, with every gift from God, with every grace from God comes a corresponding responsibility. 
How are you doing with that? Some of you have been enormously gifted to make money and you've got lots of material resources. That is fantastic. I hope you're thanking God every day for that. But how are you doing stewarding that responsibility? Because now comes the responsibility to be generous and to steward those resources for the glory of God. Some of you have been given fabulous gifts of communication. Man, you just know how to string words together, don't you? It's awesome. You can stand up in front of a group and you can be persuasive. You can move people to do things. You can rally people together for a cause. What a gift. But how are you doing stewarding that favor from God? You see, there's a lesson that we've got to take with us and let God etch on our soul with every gift or grace from God comes a corresponding responsibility to use that for the glory of God and the good of people. But here's my final word today. Mary's soul could sing, oh, this gets really personal, even though her future, watch this now, was uncertain. Oh, she knew that she was gonna be the mother of the Messiah. That much was clear, but she didn't know all the fine print, did she? She didn't know all the details to this plan. There was this sort of shrouded uncertainty and mystery to it all. Someone said that to be the mother of a child is to forever have your heart go wandering around outside of your body. And you parents, you know what that's like. Irma Bombeck said long ago, if parenting was gonna be easy, it would have never started with a word called labor, right? <laughs> And so that emotional stress that Mary felt, this isn't just any child. If you're gonna raise a child like this one, oh, it is not going to be easy. But one of the reasons that Mary's soul could sing is because she had this incredible faith that this child that was growing inside of her was gonna be the savior of the world and that belief infused meaning into every moment. So as we close today, as we kick off this new emphasis in December on these songs of Christmas, and as we look for our own souls to sing, I wanna ask you a very personal question right now as we close. How has God favored you? One thing I know about Grace Fellowship, God has favored this church in extraordinary ways. That's his sovereign choice. It's not because of anything we've done. It's not because of our cleverness or cuteness or anything in our own strength. But God has favored this church, this body of people. God has favored many of you personally. Here's the message I want you to leave ringing in your ears. To whoever much is given, much will be required. I think we need to recommit ourselves anew today because the race isn't done yet, is it? Hey, check your pulse right now. I'm not being silly. Check your pulse. Is it, is it beating? Do you have a heartbeat? Here's my message. If you're not dead, you're not done. If you're not dead, you're not done. 
God isn't finished with you yet. The journey is not over. There is so much more. And our job, like Mary, is to be faithful to him. Would you pray with me, please? Let's bow our heads and let's recommit ourselves right now to the purposes of God. Father, I thank you for this inspiring, humble servant, Mary, whom you chose to be the mother of the Messiah. Thank you, Lord, for her example, the legacy she's left to all of us. Father, uh, you favored us too in so many ways. But like Mary, I pray that we would say yes to your plan. And I pray that like Mary, each of us in our heart would say today, may it be to me just as you have said, according to your word, we want to be all in on what you're doing. So Lord, we know you're not done with us yet. Wherever we are in our journey, wherever we are in this race of life, whether we're nearing the finish line or just past the start, I ask that you would receive our commitment today. We commit ourselves anew to your purposes and your plan. Father, we want to be all in. Even if the future's uncertain, even if our hearts are troubled, even if we have anxiety, even if we're misunderstood, we're all in, Lord, because we want to be a part of what you are doing in this world. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen.